0: Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called Faith, Hope and Love, where we've been talking about what really defines us as followers of Jesus. And when we say what defines us as followers of Jesus, what we're talking about are those essential qualities that every follower of Jesus has. Or to put it another way for you, you will never meet a follower of Jesus who isn't filled with faith, hope, and love. And in this week's episode, we are going to be digging into what it means for us to be filled with love. So let's get right into this episode's sermon. a one-dollar bill might just be the most recognizable form of currency in the entire world. Every single day, the United States Federal Reserve prints about 16 million one-dollar bills. Right now, in the world, there are hundreds of billions of one-dollar bills that are in circulation today. So what that means is that every single one of us has seen and we have also spent our fair share of $1 bills. But, because of inflation, we are also all well aware that this $1 bill doesn't go as far today as it used to go. Like, back in 1918, a $1 bill would have been enough for you to buy three pounds of round steak. Today, those same three pounds of round steak would cost you about 20 bucks. Or in 1957, when Burger King debuted, their original Whopper, You could have bought three of those burgers for just over a dollar. But today, a single Whopper will cost you $4.19, and that's only if you don't want cheese on your burger. In the 1960s, a $1 bill would have been enough for you to buy a ticket to go and watch a movie and to buy a bucket of popcorn to eat while you were there. But in 2022, the average cost of a ticket to a movie by itself is over $13. Dollars, And my personal favorite example of how much the value of a dollar has changed is back in 1995, which somehow was already 27 years ago, and that makes me feel old. You could have bought a single share of stock in Apple for $1.50. And today, that single share of Apple stock would cost you about $175. So yeah, the value of a dollar has changed a whole lot over the years, but to try to figure out just how far a dollar will go for you today, I decided to take a little trip to the Dollar Tree last week just to see what you could buy with a dollar, and here are some of the best values that I found while I was at the Dollar Tree, so at the Dollar Tree you can buy a liter of soda for only a dollar, And that really isn't that bad of a deal when you consider that if you want to buy a 20-ounce soda from a gas station, it'll set you back about two bucks or even more than that. Or, if you're looking for a little snack while you're at the Dollar Tree, you can buy a a box of toasted pastries that they call Toastums, And they're kind of like Pop-Tarts, but anyone who's ever had Pop-Tarts in the generic brand know that the generic's never quite as good. Or, if you need to do a little bit of cleaning around your house, you can buy this bottle of floor cleaner. It's Apple Scented Floor Cleaner for only a dollar. Or, if you're looking for a little bit of entertainment, you can buy such cinematic classics on DVD as Freebirds and Zap for only a dollar. So, clearly, the value of a dollar has changed. And i got to tell you, after wandering up and down every aisle inside of the Dollar Tree, I didn't actually find anything in the store that I thought was worth a dollar to me. So the value of a dollar has clearly changed over time. I mean, back in 1918, you could feed your entire family a steak dinner for a dollar. But today, you can't even buy a name-brand box of Pop-Tarts for a buck. Back in the 60s, you could afford to go to a movie and buy popcorn while you were there for only a dollar. But today, you can't even afford to buy decent B-grade movies on DVD for a dollar. Or back in 95, you could have bought a share of Apple stock for a buck, but today, that same dollar will only buy you a bottle of Apple-scented floor cleaner. So the dollar just doesn't go as far as it used to. And that's only one example that I can give you of how things change over time. Another great example of just how much things have changed over the years are our phones. I mean, think about it right now. Just about every one of us either has a a phone in our pocket or in our hands right now that we can use to literally reach out and contact people all around the world. But it wasn't all of that long ago that before you made a phone call on your cell phone, you had to worry if you had enough minutes left on your cell phone plan to make that call. Or before cell phones came around, if you wanted to call somebody long distance, you had to break out your old calling card to be able to afford to place that phone call. Or before that, you used to have to stand around in your kitchen whenever you made a phone call to talk to whoever it was that you were calling because the cord on your landline would only stretch so far. Another great example of how much things have changed over time is the way that we watch television. Now, I'm old enough to vaguely remember a time when, when you turned on your TV, the only things that you could watch were the three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. But the FCC reported that last year, there were more than 1,700 commercial broadcast networks in the United States alone. That's more than 1,700 stations that we Americans could tune into to watch. But, of course, with the rise in streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and Disney+, Plus, the number of people who tune in to watch any of those 1,700 stations is shrinking every single year. But what does all of this have to do with us? I mean, sure, it's interesting and a little depressing to think about how much the value of a dollar has changed over the years. And it's kind of fun to think about how the way that we watch TV and use our phone has changed over the years. But why did I spend the first couple of minutes of the sermon talking about all of these changes? Well, there's a reason for it. And it's because we live in a world where it feels like everything changes. We live in a world where it feels like everything changes value of a dollar has changed. the way that you use the phone has changed. the way that you watch TV has changed. And it even feels like the way that we do church has changed too. I mean just think about everything, all of the changes that we've experienced at Melbourne Heights in the last couple of years. In September of 2020 we finalized the sale on the building that our church had called home for almost six for over 60 years. So that means that our location has changed. In March of 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic began, we started offering an online ministry for the first time in the history of our church. And last year, in 2021, we ministered to more than 3,200 people through our church website alone. And that is incredible and a great blessing for God, but it means that the way that we do ministry has changed. And when we were able to start offering an in-person service again last Easter, the way that we do church has changed then because we're now a portable church. And even though we've been meeting here on U of L Shelbyhurst campus the entire time that we've been a portable church, our sense of stability has changed too. So there have been a lot of changes that our church has faced. But there have also been changes that the church all across the world has faced as well. In recent years, churches all across the world have dealt with changes to the way that sermons are preached, or changes to the music that we sing inside of our services. We've dealt with changes to the way that people dress when they come to our worship services. We've even had to deal with changes to the number of people who actually are willing to attend worship services at all. So we have experienced a whole lot of change. And with all of the changes that the church has faced, it's only natural for us to wonder, has anything stayed the same? Has anything stayed the same? Well, this is actually something that the Apostle Paul, who's the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, addresses in part of the scripture reading that we're going to be looking at today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 Paul writes this. He says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, and reason like a child, and think like a child. But now that I have become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now, inside of this verse, Paul is not complaining because he had to get rid of his G.I. Joes and his Legos when he got a little bit older. What Paul is saying inside of this verse is that things change in life and things are always going to change in life change is a natural part of life but as we continue reading what paul writes in first corinthians chapter 13 we're going to see that paul will tell us that even though things are constantly changing in life there are some things that remain the same some things that do not change so picking back up in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 13 Paul tells us what doesn't change, and this is what he says. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. All right, now remember what Paul just told us back in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul tells us that when he was a kid, he did the things that kids do. He acted like a kid, but when he got older, he put those childish ways behind him, and Verse 13, what Paul is doing is he's telling us that when I put those childish ways behind me, I found that three things remain when it comes to my relationship with God. I have found these three things have not changed. And they are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So when it comes to our faith, there are things that never change. Our faith, our hope, our love are never going to change. But these are more than just things that don't change when it comes to our relationship with God. These are also the things that define us as followers of Jesus. So as Christians, we are defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. We are defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. And when I say that we are defined by these things, what I'm talking about are those essential qualities, those essential characteristics that every follower of Jesus has. Has And these essential qualities and characteristics are never going to change. Or to put it another way for you, just to help it sink in a little bit more, you will never meet a follower of Jesus who isn't filled with faith, hope, and love. It just isn't going to happen. So a couple of weeks ago, we spent our time together talking about what it means for us to be filled with And last week we spent our time together talking about what it means for us to be filled with hope. And today as we wrap up the sermon series, we're going to be talking about what it means for us to be filled with love. And fortunately for us, in the entire chapter, the verses leading up to the passage that we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13... Paul actually spends all of those verses talking with us about what it means for us to be filled with love, what it means for us to be defined by love. But before we take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, first we need to spend a little bit of time talking about the people that Paul was writing this letter to. And that's because the people that Paul was writing this letter to do the same things that we've been doing over the last few weeks. They were trying to figure out what defines us as followers of Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to people living in the ancient city of Corinth to help them better understand what defines us as followers of Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to them because the folks in Corinth, they had some interesting ideas about what defines us as followers of Jesus. So there were people living in Corinth who believed that we, that our faith in Jesus is defined by the preacher that first told us about Jesus So these these people thought that if you didn't hear about Jesus from the right preacher, then you weren't really a Christian. There were other people in Corinth who thought that our faith was defined by our marital status. And that means for these people that if you weren't married, they didn't think that you were really following Jesus. There were other people in Corinth who thought that our faith was defined by the clothes that we wear. So these people thought if you weren't wearing the right types of clothing, and you weren't really following Jesus. And we could go on, because they had some other interesting ideas, but you kind of get the point here. So, eventually, the Apostle Paul, he finds out that the folks in Corinth are arguing about what defines us as Christians. And this bothers Paul, because he's the one who started the church in Corinth to begin with. So Paul sits down, and he writes the letter that we call 1 Corinthians to send to the churches there to help them understand what really defines us as followers of Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul tells them about what it means for us to be defined by love. So let's take a look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start reading in verse 4. Here's what Paul writes. He writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. So this is what it means for us to be defined by love. But the problem is that this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 has become so familiar to us that we don't really listen to it anymore. I mean, seriously, when was the last time that you went to a wedding and you didn't hear at least a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 read during that ceremony? It just doesn't happen. This passage is so familiar to us that we don't listen to it anymore. So today, to help us really focus in and hear what Paul is saying in this passage, I want to borrow a page from Andy Stanley's book, and Andy Stanley is the founding pastor and a teaching pastor at North Point Community Church down in Georgia. And when I say I want to borrow a page from his book, I mean it quite literally, because in his book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, Andy Stanley gives us a different way to think about this passage And he actually challenges us to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as if it was answering a question. And that question is, what does love require of us? What does love require of us? And in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, we start seeing what love requires from us. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 tells us that love requires patience. Love requires patience. I mean, love requires us to not be pushing. Love requires me to move at your pace instead of forcing you to move at my pace. It goes on to tell us that love requires kindness. And kindness is love's reaction to weakness. And kindness requires me to lend you my strength in those moments where you are feeling weak instead of simply reminding you of your weakness in those times. Love requires me to help you do things that you cannot do for yourself when you're experiencing those moments of weakness. From there, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes on to tell us that love requires us to avoid being jealous. Love requires us to avoid being jealous. That means that love requires us to let other people shine and to celebrate their successes and their triumphs because love Love isn't hindered. Love isn't held back when someone else succeeds. Paul goes on to tell us that love requires things from us like honesty. Love requires us to not be self-centered. Love requires us to forgive. These are the things that love requires from us. These are the things that it means for us to be defined by love. But what does it look like when we put this kind of love into action. Once again, I think the Apostle Paul does a pretty good job of giving us a glimpse of what this kind of love looks like, but he does this in another letter that he writes. This letter he writes to Christians living in the city of Rome. And in Romans chapter 9, this is what Paul writes. He writes, at the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. It's an enormous pain deep within me, and I'm never free of it. I'm not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If there was any way that I could be cursed by the Messiah so that they could be blessed by him, I'd do it in a minute. Did you hear what Paul said in that passage? Let me read it for you again. He says, if there were any way that I could be cursed by the Messiah so that they, the people of Israel, Paul's fellow Israelites, could be blessed, he would do it in a minute. Paul says that he is willing to be cursed by God. He's willing to set aside all of the blessings that he could receive in his life from having a relationship with God. He says he is willing to give up on his heavenly reward if it meant that the people of Israel would be saved. That's incredible love. It also reminds us of something that Paul says a little bit earlier on in the book of Romans. A little bit earlier on, he says, but God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So ultimately, what it means for us to be defined by our love is that we are defined by Jesus. Because Jesus shows us what real love is. And Jesus shows us what real love is when Jesus gives up his rightful place at the right hand of God to come down and live like one of us. And Jesus does this even though he knows that it's going to lead to him experiencing the worst that humanity has to offer. Jesus does this even though he knows that it's going to lead to him dying on the cross. But Jesus does it because he loves us so much. That he cannot stand for anything to separate us from God. This is what it means for us to be defined by love. It means that we are defined by Jesus. So if this is the kind of love that Jesus shows us, if this is the kind of love that is supposed to define us, then how are you doing on that? If we are defined by a love that requires us to be patient, do you consider yourself to be a patient person? Even better, do the people around you consider you to be a patient person? Or, if we are defined by a love that requires us to be kind, then do you always find yourself being a kind person? If we are defined by a love that requires us to avoid being jealous, How do you feel when other people succeed? If we are defined by a love that requires us to be honest, to be selfless, to be willing to forgive, then how are you doing on any of those things? Because this is the kind of love that defines us as followers of Jesus. It's like I said a little bit earlier on in the sermon, you will never meet a Christian who isn't filled with love. Jesus tells us so much in John chapter 13, verse 35, when Jesus says, This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other. Look at that verse again. How will people know that you're following Jesus? When you love each other. So, if people will know that you are one of Jesus' disciples by your love, That do people actually know that you're following Jesus? And that's not just a question that I'm asking because it's a nice way to wrap up the sermon. It's not just a question I'm asking because it's a good way to wrap up the sermon series. It's a question that I'm asking because we all really need to reflect on this question. If people know that we are followers of Jesus by our love, then do people know that we are actually following Jesus? If people know that you are following Jesus by your love and do people know that you are really following Jesus? Because if you're not, if your love doesn't show that you're following Jesus, then you're not really following Jesus at all. Because we know that no matter what may change in the world three things will remain constant for us as we follow Jesus. As Christians, we will always be defined by our faith, by our hope, and by our love. And we're told that the greatest of these is our love. So if we're not loving the world like Jesus does, we're not really following God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, our toes are probably hurting a little bit this morning. Our feelings are probably hurting just a little bit this morning, God, because none of us love as pure as you do. God, if love requires us to have patience and kindness, to avoid being jealous, to be honest, to be selfless, to forgive, This is what love requires of us, God. None of us always fulfill those requirements. But God, as we follow you, as we grow in our relationship with you, we are called to become more like you. We are called to show this kind of love. So God, may you convict every single person that is listening to this prayer right now, showing us the ways that we fall down on your requirements the ways that we don't live up to the requirement to love like you do, God. And help us to grow. Help us to grow and be more loving. Help us to grow and be more patient, to be more kind, to be more humble, to be more forgiving, to be more obedient to you. Help us to love the way that you do, God. And help us to show that love in the world all around us because we know, God, how much the world pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to think about what love requires of you if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, this does wrap up our Faith, Hope, and Love sermon series. So, in our next episode of our sermon podcast, we are going to be starting into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling No Easy Answers. And in this series, we're going to be taking a look at some of the most difficult questions that we ask. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering at all? Where is God when it hurts? So we hope that you'll come back and join us as we start wrestling with the problem of pain together. As always, that episode drops next Tuesday. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And don't forget, you can also worship with us every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.